Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Parks and Recollection. I am Chris Traeger, and this is Alan Yang. Hello, Alan. Now, you just identified yourself as your character's name. Is that a choice? I like, I like doing that. Uh, I've decided from here on in, I'm going to be method. <laughs> Rob Lowe. You're going to do it the, Ro- the entire podcast and character. He's going to be like, oh my God, this was a TV show? Yeah, yeah. Rob. <laughs> I'm in a TV show? Rob Lowe, he's I, some other person. Chris Traeger is, is who I am today. One on the set, listen, you know, on the set, you don't look me in the eye. You call me only by my character's name. And, and whatever my character's job is, that's what I have been doing for two years leading up to playing that character. You know that about me. Right. You're, if, if you're an Irish 19th century cobbler, you're just making shoes for two years and speaking in an Irish brogue. That's, that's you. On set. I guess Traeger would be a pretty good one. He'd just be really fit and be very positive. Not, not, the worst, not the worst guy to have around set. So I got to be honest, not the worst method guy to have. No, no. That's, that's, that's kind of a guy you want if you're going to go method. Um, but today, today, I love this. I, I've said that at like every episode. I've said, I love this episode. But the truth of it is, you know, this is the reason we're doing this podcast because, you know what, let's face it, the show's pretty damn funny, don't you think? It's in a nice groove. This is a nice region of the show. We're, we're, we're coming into some really good ones. This one's called Leslie's House, and uh, it was episode 14. Jeez, already episode 14 of season two, aired on January 21st, 2010, written by the great Dan Gore and directed by Alex Hardcastle, who has a character named after him, uh, Soft Castle. Um, in Alexis Softcastle. Alexis Softcastle. Um, I'm 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 on tenterhooks. Please give me the synopsis. We got to get into the synopsis. Synopsisters, synop brothers. Here we go. A remorseful Leslie tells a group of recreation center teachers the Pawnee budget has been cut. Exactly which classes to be cut has not yet been determined. That's the cold open. Feeling pressure to make her next date with Justin exciting, Leslie decides to host a dinner party at her home with all her quote-unquote interesting friends from the Parks Department. Anne comes to Leslie's house and finds a hoarder's paradise. It's horrifying. Leslie calls Maria Portalsman, who teaches cleaning courses at the Recreation Center, and hints she would prefer preferential treatment when Leslie cuts the classes. And then when Leslie realizes she has not prepared any food for the party, she calls a culinary teacher from the Recreation Center. Same story. 
Eventually, an accounting teacher arrives, believing demonstrations are being held to determine which class will be cut, much to the anger of Ron. All the while, Andy complains about Justin to April, who makes Andy happy when she proposes putting chewed up gum in Justin's pockets. The next day, Leslie goes before the Pawnee Disciplinary Committee on charges of abuse of power. Leslie calls Justin as a witness and questions him as to whether he enjoyed the party, to which he answers an emphatic yes. Afterwards, the committee rules no further action will be taken, mainly because Leslie turned herself in and already paid $1,000 in restitution to the recreation center so no classes would be cut. Very packed episode. And we, you know, we get to see more of Justin in this one. I mean, I'm a huge Justin fan. Huge, huge, huge. Thoreau is my, he's my guy. I met him once backstage at mm-hmm. Ellen, as stars are wont to do. That's how we meet each other. Yeah. Um, I was struck by a number of things. He, he, he and his then girlfriend, Jennifer Aniston, were trying on racks of clothes to go to the premiere of something that night. And I was looking at the clothes going, oh, Jen, I think these are great. And only to be told, no, those are Justin's because he's tiny. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> he is the tiniest man. He's like- But he's Jack. That's the he's thing. He's a small but jacked see, man though. He's Jack. That's the thing. The camera makes you look Jack. The other thing is, he wrote one of the great movies of all time that people should be reminded of. He wrote Tropic Thunder. Tropic Thunder. That's right. Yeah, I did find it funny. You know, obviously we met Justin in the last episode, the setup. But, you know, in this one, we see Aziz kind of, Aziz's character kind of get really into Justin. He loves Justin. He like- and they became really good friends. So, so, so I've met I've met Justin and and especially his brother Sebastian. Um, and I became friends with Sebastian. And uh, yeah, Aziz was you know he stayed in Justin's place in New York. This was pre the Jennifer Aniston era, but but yeah, he was a very nice guy. And uh, Justin now owns a bar called Ray's in New York with uh, Nick Braun, who's in Succession. And so I know Nick a little bit. So yeah, it's kind of a fun. They have a bar in the Lower East Side and, and uh, yeah, it's a fun place. So shout out to Justin and, and, and Nick and, and their bar. It's very fun. Well, there's a lot of good stuff in, in this episode. I mean, it's called Leslie's House. So I, I just want to talk for a minute about the actual house. So here's the thing. When I see a craftsman house, I know I'm watching television. I know it's either a commercial or it's a, or like this, an episode. Only people on TV live in craftsman homes. And I certainly don't think that people live in craftsman homes in Pawnee. I'm just saying, if you're out there, start taking score of how many craftsman homes, because what it does is it does a lot of storytelling for you because they're beautiful. They're beautiful, but they're not expensive. They just sort of tick every demographic box that you're looking for as a, as a storyteller. And that's why there are so many craftsman homes on television. I didn't realize the architectural expertise. I love that the episode's called Leslie's House and you're like, let's talk about the house. <laughs> let's talk about the house. I, I mean, I, I took it literally. <laughs> like, but I, I actually, I hadn't thought about that. It, it is a very specific architecture. I mean, it, 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 and I don't know how common that is in the Midwest. I feel like they're not, you're right. I don't think, None. I think they're much simpler generally, right? None. I mean, I haven't spent a ton of time there, but yeah. But to me, it's it um, screams Los Feliz. I was just looking in my notes since we're talking about Leslie's house and uh, the look of it. 
And I have that it was actually a location in Altadena, which is directly north of Pasadena, which is where um, the Pawnee City Hall exterior is, as we've discussed. Um, and, you know, just looking it up a little more, Altadena derives its name from uh, the Spanish Alta, meaning upper, and Dina is in reference to Pasadena. And Pasadena comes from the Ojibwe uh, word meaning crown of the valley. So the more you know. It will, again, let's not go into a huge digression about the architecture of Los Angeles, but is what is interesting about LA is every house looks different in terms of like, some of the streets are really sort of diverse architecturally. Like you'll have a Spanish next to a mid-century modern next to a craftsman. And so it's kind of good for shooting because you can pick the right kind of house. But in this case, you know, I, I guess Leslie lives in a craftsman, which who knows. But I actually, I to, to, to keep going on the house, I was actually curious, you know, what you thought about the decision to make her a hoarder because I I got to say, this was hotly debated in the writer's room because we wanted, we wanted there to be something funny, some reveal about who she was because you get to see her house for the first time. And I, I personally am like, I'm not sure we should have made her a hoarder, but I don't know what you thought. Okay. Only because you asked this. It's going to be a little bit of a, of a securitist story, but Craftsman House give me post-traumatic stress. And the reason was I was once on location and the house I was living in that I had rented, but I hadn't seen yet, was a craftsman. And when I went to move my family in, and I had two infants at the time. It was, had been lived in by a hoarder. Oh my God. So this episode was a sort of, uh, horrible it was, flashback. It was horrible. I opened... <laughs> Traumatic watch. Sorry about this one. No, I, I opened the refrigerator to put our... We brought our own, you know, baby formula, whatever. And there was cheese in the cheese drawer that was five years old. I gotta ask, did you eat some? I smelled it. <laughs> um, it was... And it was... Honestly, it was so... I don't know if, if there's just something about craftsmen's and hoarders, but I, I was profoundly depressed by uh, Leslie Nob's house. It's it's almost like you want, in retrospect, again, keep in mind, this is still, you know, we're, we're midway through season two, but, you know, in a 125 episode show, I feel like if we had done this episode season five, I don't think she would have been a hoarder. I think it's like, no, she keeps her house in order. She's super organized. If anything, she like makes you take your shoes off and like, has a place to put your shoes and has a, th a container for literally everything in her life that's labeled with a label. Well, that's what I was going to say. It's, it's, it's um, her house would be like Cheryl Lowe's house, the house I live yeah, in. Yeah, there you go. Where every go. Yeah. single, like there's a the Doritos and it's a drawer yes. and then another one says Lay's potato chips and that's another drawer yeah. and it's like whatever that label maker thing is, is like, yeah, you know, she's gone wild. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, put no, put the rolling pin in the rolling pin drawer. Yeah. It's like, this is because there's a tiny thing for like every every single thing. But um, yeah, that that was really, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I do remember arguing about, like sometimes you get into arguments and they get pretty heated. I don't know how heated this one got, but it was like, should she be a heart? Like, is it, is it, does it, is it care? Something, something we talk about is, is something character damaging? Yes. Like if you add an uh, attribute to a character, do you are you making the audience not like that character essentially? And of course, there's 
characters have to have flaws, right? But sometimes, you know, sometimes an argument you have is like, oh, that's character damaging. We shouldn't have that, you know. And hoarders, you know, that's, I'm not saying hoarders are bad people. I'm just saying it. it is a, a specific characteristic that we gave Leslie that, uh, you know, I don't know. Did it ever know. occur to you? I leave it to you. Did it ever occur to you that there might be somebody in the writer's room who is trying to sabotage Leslie Nope? <laughs> Yeah, did secretly take that one. I thought you were going to say, is there someone in the writer's room who's a hoarder saying like, it's not so bad. Like, it's kind of good, right? Isn't it kind of sexy how she has shit everywhere? It's like, no, that's not good. Um, but no, that, so, but we made the decision. It never, you never hear about it again. I Like, do you ever see her? I mean, you go to like her and Ben's house. I get, not, yeah, her and Ben move into a new place. Anyway, um, you very rarely go to her house. I was you go shocked. to April and Andy's house a lot more. I was shocked to see it. I was like, oh, Speaking of the fierce debate over this, guys, you know, for what it's worth, I want to offer the counter opinion. I mean, I was rewatching the episode last night, and I actually thought it was such an elegant choice to make Leslie a hoarder. I mean, of course, calling her a hoarder full stop isn't doing the character choice justice. I mean, she's a Leslie version of a hoarder. <laughs> She's keeping things like old birdhouses and those newspapers with the first rumblings of Iran-Contra. She's like an endearing hoarder. I think it's an endearing character flaw. Uh, but yeah, I hear what you're saying, Alan, that if the first time you go to Leslie's house, it's in season six, you know, chances are she wouldn't be a hoarder. Her house would be so organized and immaculate. But I think that's because... Her character would have progressed and grown and improved. Uh, so by that point, you know, after six years of stories, the reveal of her being a hoarder would seem incongruous with the person we know and now love. Um, I was actually reading recently that uh, apparently a messy desk can actually inspire creativity and make you work harder, that like it fosters a fertile work environment. And so, yeah, I actually love the choice because at first it's unexpected, but the more you spend time with it, I mean, sure, the sight of all that stuff is overwhelming, but the more you spend time with it, the more it makes sense. And I think it makes sense with who Leslie was at this point in the life of the series. Um, and I think the best shows, I mean, not to be a humble brag, but I think like the best shows give you stories and choices that are unexpected, but then make you go, yeah, that's exactly how it should have gone. And, and also it's that thing that, you know, on a show, all of a sudden you'll realize, hey, we've never done this before. And they literally say, I can't believe I've never been to this house before. I mean, it's, they actually I say it. They actually say it, <laughs> saying the subtext, saying, 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 just, we call that laying the pipe too. It's like, just, it's some exposition. It's like, I've never been to this house before. This is why, <laughs> this kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's a, on the West Wing was a big deal. Like if it was a big discussion when they went home with the character for the first time, huge, huge, huge discussion. Like, like, you know, we're, we might as well, like, we're going to Mars and we're just going to go to Josh Lyman's apartment. It's fine. But it was like you'd have thought we were reinventing the wheel. Yeah, you learn about your you learn a lot about your characters when you see that. So yeah, um, I do like that. Uh, anytime we have Ron Swanson and food, you know I'm down with that. And uh, when Ron goes, "Would you mind if I bring a large number of deviled eggs?" Deviled eggs. That is such a great yeah. deviled Midwestern. eggs. And, and and also, can you if I bring a platter of deviled eggs? Can you guarantee fridge space? Fridge space for the like that. I, so I actually, 
I'm 99.9% sure that was Harris Whittles pitching that joke because he would always talk about fridge space and and like, I don't know, going to a party, bringing something and there's no room. He did a lot of, lot of irritants in his life, but that was one of them. So I think that was him. But Fridge space. Um, fridge space for the eggs. And then he, he arrives with the eggs. He's like, I think you know where these go. You know, he has to. <laughs> so that was, that was very enjoyable. The other thing he does, um, he has a, a drink called an Old Fashioned in this right. episode. And the only person I've ever known to order an Old Fashioned other than Ron Swanson was Gwyneth Paltrow. Peas in a pod. Peas in a pod. They both love meat, right? <laughs> She's a huge meat person. She's a huge everything person. She's a connoisseur <laughs> of all things that we should all enjoy. But old GP, she loves her, her old fashions. And my, my thing is, you know, I don't drink. I, I, I've been sober 30 years. But if I were to drink again, and, you know, could happen tomorrow. Um, let's hope I, not, man. Because <laughs> it'd be a really a whole different podcast, believe yeah, me. Yeah, let's not do that, buddy. But... I would only want to order drinks that have cool names like that, like a Harvey Wallbanger, an Old Fashioned. Um, a, oh, you'll love this. So I went on vacation recently and my son uh, still enjoys um, uh, Shirley Temples, right? No way. And they're great. Which son? John, John Owen. Owen. Which, yeah, yeah. Okay. John Owen's really down with Shirley Temples. By the way, they're, if, if, if you haven't had a Shirley Temple since you were eight years old, listen to me. <laughs> Revisit that shit because it's so good. It isn't and, too sweet. No. You didn't find it too sweet. Oh, it's so good. And then, but then there's the one that you put the Coke in. And Roy I Rogers. Except I mixed it up and ordered a Rob Roy. So that has alcohol in it, right? Which I found out. Thank you. <laughs> Turns oh out a God. Roy Rogers and a Rob Roy are very different. <laughs> That's pretty confusing, man. That's like something very close to Shirley Temple that's heavily alcoholic. Um, but so you, did you drink the Rob Roy? Well, <laughs> no, they gave it to me. And first of all, it comes to you, the Rob Roy comes to you in a martini glass. Yeah, and, so this isn't it. And I'm like, well, okay, the guy's being cute, I guess. He's trying to right. be like, show me these a happening bartender. All right, I've never, whatever. And then I, I put it up to my face and it was literally fumes were coming off of it. Not only does it have alcohol in it, but it had, you know, literally vapors. I mean, I'm, I'm reading the ingredients to a Rob Roy right now. Scotch whiskey, sweet vermouth, bitters, and just a cherry for garnish. So it's pure. It's only alcohol. Every one of those ingredients is alcoholic. Even bitters are mildly alcoholic. Everything except for the cherry was alcohol. So, that, so that's how did a, this bartender not go give me the look? Like, really? Because this was like at <laughs> 11 o'clock in the morning. When we were having yeah. like, an, like a brunch. There with your son. You know what? Give me a, give me, it's essentially a Scotch Manhattan. Like, yeah, yes. Get one. It's a, give me a Scotch triple. <laughs> Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Now, Factors Fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved, which is awesome. And they're ready to eat in just two minutes. So, no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So, so good. I love this stuff. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore to help you crush your wellness goals. And let me tell you what I crush they have a smoky bacon and cheddar egg bite that is. Mm, 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 good. Mm. I tried their shakes also, and they were so good. Oh, 
I'm a Factor fan. Head to factormeals.com slash parksandrex50 and use code parksandrex50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code parksandrex50 at factormeals.com slash parksandrex50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. That is so true, Greg. LinkedIn knows that as a small business owner, you don't have the time or the resources to spend countless hours looking for the right person for the job. So they have launched a new feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. And it isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching. In fact, get this, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Wow, that, that, that's impressive. That's amazing. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash parks. That's linkedin.com slash parks to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I have a question for you. Is April's, we get to see April's gay boyfriend's boy and his boyfriend in this episode? Derek and Ben. Derek, Derek and ben. ben, yes. Now, was is Ben modeled after Chastin Buttigieg? <laughs> wow. I mean, I'm pretty sure Chastin Buttigieg was probably like 17 years old when this was when this was airing, but I don't know, I guess he's probably 23 or something. But um, uh, yeah, I, I was, never I was getting way. very heavy Chastin Buttigieg vibes. Wow. Chastin has glasses though, doesn't he? I I've seen remember. pictures of him like, without his glasses, but it's that okay. it's that like corn-fed Midwestern, like sweet-natured, blond, vaguely blondish face. Yes, he has. I believe he's played by Josh Duvendeck. He has a very cherubic kind of beatific face. Yes. He's kind of like, yeah, he, he's very, you know, like you said, corn-fed Midwestern. I think that was the point because I think Derek is played by Blake Leaves, one of Aubrey's friends. So he's kind of like, he has, he's brunette and he... You know, he, he's just kind of a handsome guy. But yeah, they're both kind of just like handsome guys. But they recur a lot in the show. I think they come back a lot later. Yeah, I, I, I think it is Chastin. I don't care today. I think... One of, he, my, one of my things I enjoyed in this episode was uh, Andy's wardrobe. I don't know why, why he's dressed like this, but he has a white long sleeve button down shirt unbuttoned to midway down his chest but he's wearing a white undershirt. So it's like he has the... You're seeing like... You, it's it's almost like, a, it's almost like a Fabio type shirt where like, you know, it's unbuttoned down a ton where you expose your chest, but he's wearing a very high cut undershirt. So I've just never... I've never seen that. I don't know who made that choice or who allowed... Maybe it was Pratt. Maybe it was... I don't know, but it's so bizarre and it never changes. He's just... He's kind of working at his, as a server during this episode, but I, I just couldn't... I was like, I couldn't stop looking at his weird shirt. Yes. I wanted, did want to point out Aziz Googling India felt pretty real. <laughs> he was oh. like learning about it, running to the bedroom to Wikipedia India. Well, I we, That made us laugh a lot in the writer's room and I made Aziz laugh too because there is something to the idea of, you know, second generation Americans or, you know, children of immigrants and how little you know about your home, your quote unquote home country because you may have never been there. Like I remember 
you know, at this point, I think, you know, Aziz had probably only gone back to India. And he would always tell me about, yeah, you go back there, it's really hot. Like you're trying to play like Game Boy. <laughs> and then like you come home, right? It's like, you're, you're like, you're, you, you see your relatives, you, you, don't, you don't speak the language, you barely speak Tamil. You know, he's from, he's from Kerala. I think that's the southern part of India. But so that felt really real to me. I, you know, for me personally, my parents are immigrants from Taiwan. And um, between the ages of zero and 28, I had been to Taiwan once. Right. So like I've gone once when I was eight for my grandpa's funeral. So if you ask me anything about Taiwan, I had I had zero knowledge. Literally, like if, if a white person was like, Yeah, tell me about Taiwan and had been there a lot, I I would not know how to answer. So I, I so I learned a lot more about Taiwan in the interim. I went back with my dad um in when in my you know, in my late twenties and then uh uh, I tried to learn Mandarin because I didn't learn that much Mandarin growing up. And then I made a movie called Tiger Tail about my dad's childhood in Taiwan and him growing up there and then coming to America. And uh, I learned a lot more Mandarin and I, I learned a lot more about Taiwan. So from that tiny joke of Aziz Wikipedia in India, it was certainly meaningful to me. And, and we made an episode of Master Nun about our parents too, called Parents. And so in that one, we go back to India, we go back to Taiwan as well. You never know where stuff's going to happen. You know, you, you never, never know, know where, where, you never know. where that's going to strike. Uh, yeah. Um, this episode also reminds me a lot of the the famous office episode, and I think that might have even been called the dinner party. But but you know, obviously the office has got the cringe factor, and this is a bunch of people together who you know like each other and are just being funny. Yeah, I mean that episode is really sort of the height of the cringy comedy on that show, and. Early on in the run of this show, I think, you know, it was trying to find its voice and differentiate itself from The Office. So I think it, by this point, has done that. And um, a much sort of, like you said, friendlier, warmer show, positive, upbeat, energetic, kind of madcap, a little bit silly. All of those things were things that The Office was less of. You know, The Office tended to try to be a little bit more grounded, a little bit more observational, a little bit a little bit more melancholy, bittersweet. And so this show was kind of the counterpoint to that. I will say in this episode, actually, Leslie's a little more annoying than she is usually. She's she's she's, yes. she's really pushing. I get that she's nervous about her date with Justin, but she's so desperate. It almost is like, again, you. I think about her from later seasons where she's so sort of right about everything. And in this one, she's like, she's just like kind of on everybody. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's really... Uh, it's it's a it's it's a more annoying version of Leslie than I'm accustomed to, but you know, obviously, she does the right thing in the end. Um, I also wanted to shout out uh, Barney, the QuickBooks guy, the accountant, um, who is a great character, and he comes in, and this is his first appearance in the show. And later, we would use this guy to kind of set up Ben Wyatt a little bit because Ben Wyatt was an account, you know, essentially an accountant, and. Um, later on, one of my favorite things was how much Barney, the QuickBooks guy, loved uh, Ben Wyatt. And so in this one, he's just super boring. He comes in and teaches Quicken or QuickBooks or whatever. Um, but yeah, I love that character. <laughs> he's so funny. He's so real. He's real. It's like I when he says when he says that the uh, he says, but the, this goes on for another forty five minutes. <laughs> it's like so believable. It's really like it just yeah. I, I love that dude. Uh, there's also. Uh, there's some more food stuff. Uh, Ron eating a pepper and then Tom eating the, the the pepper in this one. This, of course, this is how you eat it. That kind of thing. <laughs> he he uh, 
he eats the pepper. And then I remember he chew, eating the chewing tobacco and hunting trip. It's like, this guy just has digestive problems in every fucking episode. <laughs> but, he doesn't learn. Yeah. It's like, well, why, is, why are we always making him eat stuff? And then someone literally says like, yeah, he's real colon issues. It's like, Jesus, this is in the show. <laughs> like, why is this in the show? Uh, but yeah. I also loved when, um, when Ron goes, don't eat that son. And he does. And Aziz, Aziz says, clearly says shit or fuck. Yeah, and it's yeah, bleep. It's bleep. The, the beep is so loud. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it was my television, but in the mix, somebody's like, can that just make the beep louder? It might be funnier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're like, yeah, let's, super loud. Let's make beep. the joke like, work. Um, I also, I also want yeah. to shout out Ron's game of asking questions uh, to the questions. Like he's answering questions with questions. I thought that was really funny. So that was a, that was a, a funny game for him. And I loved um, what what's the direct quote where Leslie goes, "Ask any woman, she'll tell you she's always, she's always wanted to go on a first date and put somebody under penalty of perjury and ask if they enjoyed it." Whatever I've butchered the line, yeah. but that notion is really funny. It's every girl's dream, right? Every girl's dream to to ask a guy under oath whether he enjoyed the date or not, right? And he, and he did. So, um, yeah, pretty good one. Pretty good. Vintage Leslie Nope. Vintage. Now. At what point does Ain't? I think we're approaching the point where Amy was pregnant with this, with her second child. At some point, you might be right because what I believe happened is season two, we had an episode order of twenty four episodes, and then because Amy got pregnant, NBC very kindly and generously asked if we could shoot six more before she got too pregnant. And I was like, <laughs> oh, that's a nice thing to do to a person who just got pregnant. But we did. We accommodated them. So we shot the first six of season three almost immediately after the filming of season two. I just remember it being chaos because we're everybody was trying to figure out how to make it easy for Amy. Yeah. Um. Oh, I have I have one more thing to add. So this is. I and also I want to shout out the idea that we gave Andy his own Jerry at the shoeshine stand. So he there's a character named Kyle. <laughs> So one Jerry apparently was not enough for us. So I don't think this is his first appearance, but I, it's one of his early appearances. So so Andy works over the shoeshine stand. He's kind of on an island over there. So there's another character named Kyle who looks kind of like a sad sack. And he's the guy that Andy makes fun of. So it's kind of funny that there's like another <laughs> Jerry in the show who's like the mo- low status character. And th- this happens later, but later, later, later on in the show... I believe Jerry and Kyle meet and Jerry makes fun of Kyle. So it's like, oh, there's a pecking order where where Kyle is even lower status than Jerry. So I thought that was funny. I think that's like season six or something. But but yeah, it's really funny. It's like we added another low status character. It's very funny. Well, you know, it's like um, the the old Laverne and Shirley opening. Schlemiel, schlamazel. Yes. Do you know what a schlemiel and schlamazel are? I do. But do you want to explain them to the listener? I do because it's basically what you're describing yes. is a shlemiel is the person who spills things. The shlemazel is who he spills it on. Yeah. There's always someone lower than you, basically. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the great. So Andy is the shlemiel to his shlemazel. That's true. So basically, it's, it's uh, yeah, it, it was just funny because also you never see Andy be mean to anyone. And he is mean to Kyle. So again, it's the kind of thing where everyone in the show is nice to everybody except for one person. And in his world, it's Kyle. Um, so yeah. Oh, yes. And, and, and coming up soon, Jerry is mad at Kyle during the uh, famous Ron and Chris Traeger hamburger cook-off oh, yeah. episode. 
I think that one has my name on it. And you're in it. You're, you play Chris. <laughs> I cook some hamburgers. I think they're vegan though. Yes, yours. I remember literally writing that line. It has a crisp of Telegio cheese on it. <laughs> Turns out, I, remember I think it's, asking, it's turkey, I believe. But yeah, I don't know. I remember. It's so and I remember having to ask you how to say Telegio. Telegio cheese, yeah. Well, stay tuned for that episode. I, we clearly remember it. <laughs> it's like, uh, I think that's the Some food. of the recipes were good. Yeah, that's the food and food and stuff and grain and simple uh, episode, I think. I believe. That's, that is coming up. It's coming up. There's so much more to look forward to on this podcast. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network. So whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. I know I've had fun. How about you? I've had fun too. Shall we hop into a town hall? What do you say? Oh, let's. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. Time for a town hall question. And I know where I want to have this one. Where do you want to have it, Rolo? I want to have it at the Sweetums factory. Yes. A lot of accidents at the factory. <laughs> probably a lot That's of immoral right. behavior. Probably some uh, union busting and production of unhealthy sweet materials. Um, but we're yep. going to do it right on the, the factory floor there, huh? Child labor, probably. <laughs> Yeah, a lot. It's run by like very immoral rich people, right? I think that gets revealed over the course of the show. So it's yeah. bad people making a bad product that, yes. that poisons people. So that's where we're going to have it. The fumes alone are going to uh, knock us on our ass. So, yeah. Um, all right. This question comes to us from Ruthie from Oceanside. What was the most complicated episode to shoot? And was there ever one that almost didn't happen and last minute all came together? If so, do tell! Exclamation point. Thank you for your enthusiasm, Ruthie. Mm. Very, very cute question. Most complicated episode to shoot. Um, I have one answer, which is mainly like a location type thing. It, it I believe, was season six. Uh, it, it was kind of a two-part episode called Moving Up. And I just remember one of the things that was weird about it was that it took place partially in San Francisco. So we, we went up to San Francisco to shoot some of it. So I remember going up to San Francisco with Pratt and Amy and Adam. Um, and we shot some of it in San Francisco. So there's already the complication of that. But then at some point, uh, First Lady Michelle Obama appears in the episode. But she was not available in either LA or San Francisco. So we're... We, so what we did is we flew to Miami to shoot Michelle Obama and then pretended 
Miami was San Francisco. So that was a complicated, <laughs> circuitous journey and very strange. But yeah, I, out of all the travel in the show, faking Miami for San Francisco was a very weird one. I also can remember, seems like Pratt was involved in every complicated shoot. Um, <laughs> April and Pratt at the Grand Canyon. Yeah. You know, that you go all the way to the Grand Canyon for that one shot. That was one. But the, but the, the most amazing thing about complicated shoots on this show to me is, and this is why I love Mike Schur. Mike Schur um, made it very easy for all of us to pursue other things while we were doing this show because everybody on the show had their own thing going on. Aziz had his tours. You know, all of us were doing movies and other things. And, and I've been on shows where they're just assholes, just assholes. And they don't let you do it. It costs you money and opportunity. And Parks was so amazingly user-friendly. And that was a Morgan Sackett thing. And I will always be in his debt. His answer was always, we'll find a way to make it work. And they found a way for Chris Pratt to go away and do Guardians of the Galaxy. And they didn't have to do that. They absolutely did not have to do that. They could have been, hey, bro, we have, you have a contract here. You're not doing that movie. And to their credit, they did. But that then meant that, you know, they had, you guys had to write those storylines, why, why he wasn't there. And then you ended yep. up in London and why he looked shredded in the episode, <laughs> which is hilarious. Yeah, I always like coming back. He was completely ripped and, and uh, we just answered it in one line. He's like, yeah, I stopped drinking beer. <laughs> it's like, that was like <laughs> literally just one line. And, and, but yeah, that was, you know, I, I feel like, you know, I learned a lot from Mike uh, working on the show. And certainly when, you know, I've gone on to, to, to run other shows, you know, look, man, this is not, we are, I, I love the job. I, I'm very, very proud of this, the work and I, I like to put all I have into it. But, you know, we're not, we're not doctors, you know, we're not, we're not saving lives, we're not paramedics. Like, let's try to be flexible and treat everyone as, as kindly as possible. And, and if there's any way to make things like that happen where, and to be flexible like that, like by all means, you know, like I think that's really important. And, um, you know, I, I think it, it's, it's that generosity spirit, you know, it does again, not to be, not to be too treacly, but it sometimes it, it comes across in the show, right? It's like people care about each other and are treating each other right. Oh, and, and I had just come, show, I literally so. had just come off of a show with, with, that had 17,000 other cast members in it. And I'd be like, Hey, I have an opportunity, um, to, you know, it's my son has got a piano recite. No, no. <laughs> No, yeah. it's not yeah. going to happen. We don't have a script. We don't know what it is. When I get the script, maybe I can do it. But the, the answer is no. It's just not. That was literally what it was yeah. every and then you, single and, day. And then you show up at 7 a.m. and you wait for 10 hours and you're finally and they're finally ready for you to shoot at, you know, 5 p.m. or whatever. And it's like, oh, this is... Well, and that's the other thing. I know we've harped on in the past, but it really helps to have the scripts on time and that like helps everything, so... Yep. Guys, and, buddy and the, showrunners out there, try to get your scripts done on time. The most important thing is that they're good. But the second most important thing is that you have them ahead of time so you can plan the show. And by the way, if, to, if you're lucky enough to have actors that have mojo going on outside the show, that is only good for the show. It's not the worst thing to have a movie star on your show. So yeah, <laughs> if that happens, it's great. Hey, I'll pipe in with my thoughts on this town hall. I know I don't answer them all the time, but yeah, you know, for this one, I know the question was about uh, the most complicated to shoot, but I first actually want to call out what I think was one of the most complicated to write, 
Uh, and the one that sticks out for me uh, would be canvassing from season one. You know, we talked about it a bit in the pod for that episode, but that one took a long time to break. Weeks were spent breaking that episode. And then we spent a lot of time sitting around the computer getting ready for the table draft. And then we spent a lot of time around the computer getting ready for the shooting draft. And even beyond that, we were working on it every day. Uh, as it's shot, we will send out new pages for the next day of production. And uh, having worked on other shows and hearing stories, I know that can be kind of commonplace process for other shows, but it didn't tend to be for Parks. Uh, and I think the reason it was so tough was because it was the second episode. And, you know, the feeling in writing, at least in TV, is that actually one of the hardest episodes to write isn't your pilot where you introduce everything and everything's new it's your second episode where you have to uh have forward progress in your story but at the same time you also need to reintroduce your characters and reintroduce the situations uh for perhaps people who didn't see the first one um and also just so it gets more um uh uh, familiar with people and familiar with viewers and so that one took a long time but then it turned out great um in terms of production you know, the ones that jump out to me as being the most complicated to shoot were the ones with those big, big set pieces, you know, with a huge set, with tons of extras, lots and lots of moving parts. And those are episodes like in season three, Harvest Festival and Lil Sebastian. Um, and then season six, just like Alan, like you said, moving on. Um, but for me, I'll call it out because of the Unity concert, which was like legit an actual concert. Um, I don't recall a single episode that was scrapped last minute because it didn't come together, but we definitely had those episodes where it's like 2 a.m. in the writer's room and everyone is staring into space trying to think of a fix for a story problem and you think um, you're never going to get it, you're never going to solve it. And then, you know, you get strokes of genius like Ben's love of calzones and you get through it. So, yeah. All right. Well, this was fun. We got uh, more coming up next week. So thanks, you guys. We, we appreciate all the support. Hope you're having as much fun listening as we are making it. And uh, we will see you next week. All right. Thank you, Producer Schulte, Producer Greg. Bye for Pawnee. Parks and Recollection is produced by Greg Levine and me, Rob Schulte. Our coordinating producer is Lisa Berm. The podcast is executive produced by Alan Yang for Alan Yang Productions, Rob Lowe for Low Profile, Jeff Ross, Adam Sachs, and Joanna Solitaroff at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson at Stitcher. Gina Batista, Paula Davis, and Britt Kahn are our talent bookers. The theme song is by Mouse Rat, a.k.a. Mark Rivers, with additional tracks composed by John Danik. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Parks and Recollection. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Stitcher. At Founders Brewing Company, we set out to create a beer that lets you embrace the unconventional. Mortal Bloom is a radiantly beautiful, hazy IPA that will wrap your taste buds with intense citrus and tropical notes of pineapple and mango. Coming in at 6.2% ABV with big aromatics and no bitterness, it's the perfect beer, if we do say so ourselves. 
Visit foundersbrewing.com to find Mortal Bloom Hazy IPA. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.